Hello, everyone, and happy anniversary to us. Do you realize this is our 75th podcast? That's a lot of podcasts. That is. That's magical. Is, isn't that amazing? Uh, so and you can go to, if you just Google uh, Odyssey House Journals uh, in, on YouTube, or just Google it, and it'll send you to our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to look at all 75 of our podcasts, some of which are pretty good, which leads me to remember how we always like to look at analytics from our, uh, from our podcast, Rachel. I, by the way, I'm Randall Carlisle. This is Rachel Santizo. We should, and, and before we get into the analytics, Rachel, it, it gives me a, a, a chance to sound like a dirty old man and say, Rachel, <laughs> what are you wearing today? Well, Randall, you're welcome, first of all. Second of all, I'm wearing the newest edition of Flourish Bakery's shirt. Um, they're a fantastic organization that hire people with backgrounds, criminal backgrounds, and also gaps of employment, um, substance misuse. They're just an incredible organization for helping people set up with job skills and get back in the community. And they make luscious goodies <laughs> well said it's it's uh and it, if you want to look them up they're, they're out in where midvale midvale mm -hmm. okay and it's flourish f-l-o-u-r-i-s-h and so just google them and and i had i i i went overboard and bought like three or four of their pies for thanksgiving and it was and they were they were so good i gained like 20 pounds but they were really good you know so yeah and we fought that weekend cuz he didn't share with me yeah, well i'm sorry about that but i ate them all myself what can i say <laughs> back to the analytics out of the 75 uh, you obviously have a fan named igor in russia cuz we're watched all over the world but of the 75, can you, this is pretty hard to guess, the most popular person we interviewed. Ooh, I don't know if I even want to. No, it, 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 I, I wouldn't have guessed it either. Not, that, not to demean the guy, but yeah. it's Damon Harris. Oh, good. I'm not surprised by that at so, all. That makes my heart very happy. He's an outspoken guy who graduated from Odyssey House, worked for Odyssey House for a while, and now works at Utah Naloxone. Yes. And when you see news coverage of people out uh, upset about the fact that they're cleaning up unsheltered homeless camps, he's one of the people they're protesting all the time. So you might see him on TV. Here's the thing that applies to you, Rachel. Out of all 75, you are seventh most popular on the list. Yay, that's awesome. How about that? Oh, good, that makes my heart happy. I don't even know what to say, I'm kind of speechless. Way to go, if I had an award, I'd give it to you, but- uh, and You can since buy me a slide. Since, <laughs> yeah, next time. And since this is all about Rachel being one of the most popular podcasts and wearing a Flourish t-shirt, uh, I think it's only fitting that we have one of your guests on who is very close to you. Very close. She's very a very monumental um, woman in my life. And she's crazy compassionate. And she's pretty cool, too. So without further ado, Trisha Bateman. Hello, Trisha. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. And, and Trisha has a t-shirt on, too, not supporting a, a nonprofit, for sure. But ex yeah, ex ex explain that one. <laughs> 
So um, I haven't told my story in a while. So I'm just reviewing it and I wanted to be like Rachel. Um, my last name's Bateman. And you know how kids are, they're clever growing up. So one of our nicknames for Bateman was Batman. And my dad was a doctor and oftentimes the vandals would go to his office and take the E off. So it was Dr. Batman, Dr. Bat-Man. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, a built-in ad for your family. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about, tell it, give us a quick synopsis of, of your story, uh, where you were and what you're doing now and why you and Rachel are buddies. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, what an honor to be here. Congratulations on your 75th. Um, you. I'm just about that age, actually. <laughs> but you should be very proud of that. I love your podcast. Um, I love it as much as I... Igor does. I love Rachel's much <laughs> probably more. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how long, like how long, but so I'll make a you know quick synopsis. But basically, I was raised in a very loving family. Um, my parents were incredible people. They were raised in the small town of Montpelier, Idaho. It's up in the Bear Lake Valley. It's the very southeast corner of the state of Idaho. And uh, just good, good people. I had my grandparents, all four of them, till the age of, I was 35. So I was close with all of them. But my dad wanted to be a doctor and he was actually discouraged by teachers and counselors. They told him he didn't have what it took. He wasn't from the right kind of people. And my mom wanted to be a nurse, which was pretty unheard of back then as well, as far as a woman getting a degree. But the two of them, like I said, high school sweethearts took on the world. And my dad became a, a surgeon and my mom a nurse. And I have two brothers. I have an older brother who's a doctor in Boise, Idaho, and a younger brother who fortunately didn't pick medicine. He's um, a movie score producer. Um, and they're both just incredible humans and very successful both professionally and personally. Um, I was basically raised in hospitals. Um, what I mean by that is my dad would take me around um, on rounds with him and I'd get to meet patients, which you know you couldn't now with HIPAA and everything, but a lot of times he'd stick me in the nurse's break room and that's where I found my love for graham crackers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd wait for him and, and eat those little single packet graham crackers. And right. I just always wanted to be a nurse. You know, I don't remember ever being, you know, forced to be a nurse or encouraged. I, I just wanted to be a nurse. I think it's what I was born to do. Um, I'm genuinely interested in people and, um, you know, it's just what I ended up doing right out of high school. I, I went to college and then I graduated with my bachelor's from Idaho State. And I say all this because I haven't had any substance use to this point. I had drank a couple times, but um, for whatever reason, I chose the pathway of uh, religious with the Mormon faith. And you're not allowed to drink alcohol. So as much as I liked the feeling when I drank alcohol, I knew I wasn't supposed to. So I too married my high school sweetheart. Um, we moved to Salt Lake back in the mid eighties for him to continue schooling. And I got my first job at the University of Utah. And, you know, a lot of people talk about they drink normally and they're not sure when they cross that line to be alcoholic. But, you know, I hadn't even touched substances, and I believe I was an addict from the get-go. 
Um, let me tell you a little bit about what I mean by that. Um, as a child, I felt like uncomfortable in my own skin. I was very sensitive. Um, when I was happy, I was so happy. You know, when I was sad, I was so sad. Um, you know, I had two brothers that would pair off. So I was always kind of odd man out. And I did a lot of reaching out here to make him here feel better. And, and I hadn't found substances yet. So um, I found myself at age 30. Um, my marriage didn't work out. It was a temple marriage, which to me seemed like I was really married compared to a civil marriage. It's just a core belief I had. So a lot of guilt and shame with that. Um, nobody gets divorced in my family. My grandparents were both married 65 plus years when they died and my parents were married you know, over 60 years. And so a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. And I worked for an orthopedic surgeon office. They made a lot of money. There was a lot of parties and events to go to, um, traveling and that kind of thing. And so I reached out to alcohol, age 30. Um, by 32, I was using drugs, cocaine and methamphetamine and I was in treatment by 34. So, um, you know, it happened really fast. Um, at that time, um, you know, you'll hear the attitude a lot of, well, I'm only hurting myself, who cares what I do on my free time, you know, that kind of thing. But when you're a healthcare professional or you're licensed with DOPL, um, that's not necessarily true. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I, you know, are you there? What's that? You froze up for a minute. Oh yeah. Can you still hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay, You're sorry. fine. So yeah, let me know if you can't hear me or whatever and I'll fix it. I'm just rambling here, but you know, addiction's a disease of denial. And I just thought as long as I could run five miles a day, show up to work on time, you know, show up to life that I wasn't hurting anybody else, but myself. And if you had my life, you'd need to drink too. You know, I could get anybody on board with my failed marriage and the way things went down, blah, blah, blah. And then I had an accidental overdose mixing Soma with alcohol. And one of my daughters, I have two young daughters at this time um, called the paramedics. And it was, I was using Soma and alcohol, but they tested my blood when I got there and they found cocaine in my system. And I remember I woke up to the licensed social worker telling me that they were reporting me to DOPL, which is a division of professional licensing. And I was like, why are you reporting me? And she goes, well, you have cocaine in your system. And I was like, well, I didn't use that last night. <laughs> and she's like, well, did you use it? And I was like, well, yeah, like two days ago, <laughs> like, what's the big deal? Um, but I quickly found out that as a healthcare provider, it's Doppel's responsibility to protect the community from us, whether you're doing it on your own time or not. And so um, there was an investigation and it was determined in order to keep my nursing license, I had to uh, go through their monitoring program. There's a diversion program as well as um, being in trouble with the nursing board. And, you know, I was super angry at first, but ultimately it saved my life. Um, at that time, part of the monitoring, you had to go to treatment. And I was sent to a place in Newburgh, Oregon. It was called Springbrook. It's about 30 miles southwest of Portland. And the interesting thing about that place is it was only for professionals. So mostly healthcare professionals, doctors, pharmacists, nurses. Uh, there were some attorneys there, but 
for whatever reason, they just, you know, I know today a drunk's a drunk's a drunk, but at that time, um, my family thought it would be a good place for me to go because I could relate possibly better with those people. Um, the thing that was cool about Springbrook to me, I think it's a Hazleton facility now, but um, every single uh, staff member there was in recovery from the CEO on down to the maintenance guy. And for whatever reason that held a lot of weight for me because I was afraid I wasn't gonna qualify, right? My using history hadn't been very long. The only thing I knew about an alcoholic was that movie, When a Man Loves a Woman. Randall probably remembers it. Rachel, you're too young, <laughs> but Meg Ryan was are, in it. And are, you imp are you implying I'm old? Come on. No, we are. Okay, um, all right. Um, okay. Um, but anyway, and, and my alcoholism didn't look that way. I wasn't physically addicted. You know, I didn't drink every day. There were people that drank more than me. Um, but I clearly suffer with what I know today is alcoholism. <clears throat> and I thought it was just bad and I needed to learn how to be good. Um, so I was, I was relieved to know I qualified and that I was sick and that there was a solution. Um, <clears throat> um, so being so basically that was the start of my journey and I was um, monitored by the board for several years which is very involved you have to pay for everything you're doing UAs three times a week you have to tell your bosses and and get forms filled out and and the thing that was it's kind of interesting to me I mean I have two daughters that I love with all of my heart and I could not get sober for them. I love my parents and my family so much, I could not get sober. But when the threat of losing my livelihood was on the line, that got my attention. And so, you know, <clears throat> I did what I was supposed to do for years, but then when the rubber really met the road was when I was released from the board. That was when, I, cause I think in the back of my mind, I still didn't really believe I was an addict, you know, because again, I hadn't drank very long, you know, and so I had to do a little more what they say, you know, research. <laughs> and um, I started what I call the relapse stance. And, you know, I'd had several years of sobriety and then I started, you know, relapsing again. And again, the euphoria for me in using crystal methamphetamine, I hated the drug, absolutely hated the drug, but I loved being skinny. I had those body image issues and, <clears throat> you know, I would daydream about being skinny and, and all those things came true. I got lots of attention. I looked better in clothes. I could eat what I wanted. Um, and so it just fueled the sick cycle to keep using it. And then on top of all the guilt and shame of using drugs when I knew better was raised better. I mean, I'm a healthcare professional that loves what I do. I promote health and wellness all day. And then I'm off injecting crystal meth. Like it was, it, it was just too much to live with. You know what I mean? And um, I, I just wanted to share about my very last relapse. Um, I started doing that dance as I was saying, and I would get a few months together and then I'd drink and then I would drink for a month and then I would, you know, get sober for a few months. I mean, it was just, horrible. And it's one thing to be out there running and gunning and not understand what you have. But then you come in the rooms, you come into treatment, you learn what you have, you become accountable, right? And, and then you're out there running and gunning again, 
it, it's just a horrible place to be because you know better, you know, you know there's a solution and you just can't quit. And um, so anyway, for whatever reason, I woke up on my last use and I burnt my life to the ground in a day. I drank, I showed up to my granddaughter's birthday party drunk. The very group of people I would want to look the best for, I show up this way and don't think anybody knows. I mean, that's the delusion, right? And um, it was just awful. And I, I came home, went to bed, woke up the next day and it was Mother's Day. And um, I was getting all these texts, uh, but what a wonderful mother I am and blah, blah, blah. Like I can barely breathe, right? Cause I am so riddled with just shame and guilt and hopelessness. You know, I'm too scared to live, too scared to die, all that stuff. So I decided to reach out to my sponsor and a sponsor is a person, you know, that's a mentor in this recovery journey. And I hadn't reached out to her in a long time. And I decided to play what I call the God game. And uh, usually when I called her, she, I would always get her voicemail. She's very busy. I'm busy. I leave a message. She calls me back, right? And I played this God game. I said, if I call her and she answers, then I am going to concede to my innermost self that I can, this thing is officially kicked my butt and I need help. You know, I absolutely need help. And if she doesn't answer, then I'm going to start seriously thinking about ways to end my life. And I was serious. So I called her and guess what? (laughs) She answered the phone and, um, you know, I've been sober ever since. And, you know, to say the least, I put my girls and family through so many terrible things, you know what I mean? And, um, And I can't remember if I've said this about the ripple effect, but you know, people don't think they're hurting anybody, right? When they're out there running and gunning, sometimes they think that. But I just read recently, when a person celebrates a year sober, on average, there's 10 people sleeping better. There's 10 people not thinking and worrying about you the very first thing they wake up in the morning. There's 10 people that aren't afraid to answer their phone anymore for fear it might be the morgue calling or the ER calling. And that just hit me, right? Because, you know, you two getting sober and this beautiful thing you're doing, 75, you know, podcasts and the people you're affecting all over the world. I mean, the ripple um, on the positive is so beautiful. So it gives me a lot of hope, you know. Um, I'm still immersed today. I'm completely in good standing with my board. one thing about being a nurse in recovery. So I have, I work as a care manager today and I have about 80 of my own patients. I just help them live their healthiest lives possible. And a lot of that entails um, sobriety and addiction issues. It's very prevalent. And um, so I get to promote, you know, health and wellness and sobriety all day, every day. It's pretty incredible. Um, and what's more, you you love yourself now, and you're not dealing with all the shame and guilt, which is absolutely absolutely so significant. The uh, the you talked about a sponsor, and I and we're uh, we've got ten minutes left. Okay. We, need to, we need to discuss your relationship to Rachel. That's Rachel. awesome. So Rachel? I can 
please. I'm going to chime in on this one because of what you do for me. So um, Astra just stated a sponsor is basically like a mentor and the beauty of sponsorship is, is information and circumstances and experiences being passed down and being passed down. And Trisha is my sponsor. Um, and you're keeping her sober so far, Trisha. <laughs> you're doing a really good job. <laughs> and I don't know where I would be without this woman because what a sponsor is, it's a, it's a trusting relationship to be you and to be all of you. So she has seen me at my worst. She has seen me at my best. When, I, when, when my old behaviors or my old thoughts come in, She's the one who brings me back to reality. She gives me assignments that help me grow and grow. Just last weekend, because I, I've been personally struggling with um, some body image issues and some self-worth issues. So she showed up. Um, she just stopped by to bring me a book, a book to help me to go through it. Um, she sends me meditations. It depends on like where I'm at, but she's just right by my side. It's like it's it's like a partnership because I absolutely have to do the work. She cannot do it for me, but she guides me through doing the work and holds my hand throughout all of it. And it's, it's really nice to be seen fully um, and still be loved and supported for just who you are. And that's what Trisha provides for me. Which, which doesn't mean you can't be tough with Rachel, right, Trisha? That's right. Um, I got to tell you guys kind of a funny, it's a quick story. But a few years ago, I decided it would be a great idea to check out a life coach. And I had my sponsor at the time, the same one I have today. And so I went and met with this guy two or three times and he gives you free visits. And then we started talking money. And after I was with him like these three times and I heard how much he costs, I was like, <laughs> I, have, I have somebody that not only is telling me what you're telling me, but she's completely free and she's not afraid to call me on my bullshit, which you are because I may not come back and hire your services. So that's when I really came to understand we love you enough to call you out when we need to, because we want to save your life. But, you know, I was always so afraid to sponsor people because I felt like I was that powerful. I could keep someone sober or I was that powerful to get somebody loaded. But the truth is we're not that powerful, at least what I've learned. I just share what's worked for me. Cause I'm telling you, there's more, my experience is there's more than one way to do this deal. It's a matter of who's left. And so you get to find that person that you want what they have. And then my thing is I just need one person to know everything about me, every crazy thought. I mean, and I can call my sponsor and say, you know what? I had this thought today, which most people might lock me up if they heard that, <laughs> but she just listens to me and it takes the power out of it. And it, it's a really beautiful process. But the thing that Rachel didn't mention on my side of things, the gift is so much greater for the, for the sponsor than the sponsee, I find, because since Rachel asked me to do this, you know, I don't ever ask her to do anything I'm not willing to do. And, you know, for me to show up and connect with that community, at, you know, fit to recover, whether I participated in the class or not, you know, I need that. And if I weren't sponsoring Rachel, I wouldn't get that opportunity. So it, it works both ways. It's a cool deal. Really cool deal. And it's, it's important. People don't realize who don't understand addiction 
the you know the opposite of addiction, I guess, is connection, and 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 it's that's why that's why AA works or any other program works because you have a list of people you can call, and 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 most of us. I remember the last time I drank, I, I did it, I isolated. I just, I went out and bought a bunch of booze and got drunk at home. Uh, and and it's, it's that reaching out that seems to, seems to do something for people. Right, and if you're not reaching out, then they're reaching out to you. Right. There's a phrase that say, um, they get it because they got it. And just like my treatment at Springbrook, um, there was just something very powerful and, and getting sober with staff that had been there. When they told me what it had been like and what it's like now, I heard that and I believed them because it wasn't just somebody, you know, reading it out of a book. I mean, I knew I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. I just didn't know how to, how to stop it. You know, I almost think the smarter you are, and the sharper you are, you know, the harder it is to get sober because you're just able to, you look so well on the outside and you're dying on the inside. Yeah, that was, that was my story here. I'm, I'm a TV anchor for like 40 years and, and, and I was a functional alcoholic and I felt terrible about that inside all the time. Right. Now, I'm not, now I'm not on TV and I, and I work at Odyssey House and I'm sober and I feel great. So, you know. I do, I do. I just wanted to say one parting thought if I have time. The other day I was running out of the house and my husband makes fun of me because I've got all these bags, you know, I've got my work bag, my lunch, my exercise bag. And I was like, dang it, I forgot my jug of water. So I ran back in and it just hit me like a ton of bricks, this warm feeling. And I just felt this peace, complete peace and contentment and joy. And I thought, I even said out loud, ah, oh, this is what this feels like. I mean, this is all I ever wanted. This is all I ever, you know, I chased after it my whole life and it doesn't look anything like I thought it would. Um, you know, sobriety has given me everything and more. You hear that and it's so contrite, but the truth is it's true. <laughs> um, I'm very grateful for my life today and my relationships with my children. They're now grown. I have grandkids. I have a great marriage, which is a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> Um, I'm a nurse, uh, 35 years this month. Um, it's incredible. You've done a great job. You know, uh, a lot of people watch this who have, are not necessarily in addiction themselves, but have loved ones who are. And, and I, I help facilitate a family support group every week. And the question always is, you know, are they ever going to pull out of this? Is there hope? And, and, or do I just have to accept the fact that they're gonna be, they're gonna be dead someday or in jail? Can I just tell you, I was thinking about this um, because I get asked that a lot too, Randall. You know, what's the magic formula? It's almost like if you, if you have the blood value of this, you give this much medication, which in recovery, it doesn't work that way. There's no rhyme or reason why sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. But what I've found out for me when I was able to accept the rules at a gut level, meaning I know what I have and I know what I need to do, then that led me out of negative constraint into this freedom, this positive freedom. And just by following a few simple guidelines, I became free from all of that, you know what I mean? But until I could accept it and do a true first step at the gut level, <laughs> 
Um, and I don't think people of loved ones that have addiction can do that for them. You know what I mean? I think the best thing people can do is take care of themselves and um, just be a great example of that. But it's a really interesting dynamic when there's a solution right here available, 100% guarantee, but people fail to take it. And you, you stated that you were doing meth to stay skinny, right? How are you dealing with that today since you no longer oh, have meth? It's such a great question because again, I try to tell people, I hated that drug. The trigger for me was weight gain and all that. So my, my, my sobriety is based on four pillars. They all play together. Emotional well-being, spiritual, mental, and physical. Um, I, I try to eat right. I've educated myself around that. I exercise right. You, uh, you froze up. Did everybody freeze up or is that me? No, it, it's just her. Oh, okay. Well, well hopefully we she could comes say, up for somebody. You froze so, up. So, so we'll say that that's meditation for your yes. spirituality <laughs> and everything. Okay. We, we are, we are out of time. Any, uh, any words of wisdom to people out there who probably are thinking about getting clean or, or, or are halfway there or anything else? Yes. Um, gosh, I could talk about this forever. Obviously I think nobody is too sick to get well. Um, I think the best chance you have of getting sober is the one you're on. I think just reach out your hand. I mean, I don't, it's never too late. Even if you've tried 30 times and you think you're that hopeless person, um, it's never, never too late. Just grab a hold of someone and just tell them you need help and, and trust the process. Well, thank you very much for being with us. You've got a great story. And if, if I, if I had medical needs, I'd want you as, as, as my healthcare provider. So Thank you know, you. That means a lot, actually. People, people don't understand that all of us in recovery seem to trust other people in recovery. You know, that's the way it works. Rach, any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm just so honored that you were that you were willing to come on here and be vulnerable, um, and that we could talk about sponsorship and what works for us. And it's really cool to learn because learning, going into hospitals or going into certain settings, you can feel really judged. And so I think that can take away from this, some, take away some of this shame if you need to go in there that like, no, we're all human beings and we're all trying this together regardless of our title or our surroundings. And so I just, I honor you and I love you and I appreciate you very much. And Randall, you look better today than on the Mormon series. <laughs> you do look great, Randall. I see. I we um, met a long time ago at an AA meeting. You look great. Well, I, sobriety seems to work pretty well physically for people as well. I think yeah. so. Okay. Thanks everyone for watching. Thank you guys for being for being here. Uh, be, I want you to promise you'll take care of Rachel because she's very important to me. Okay. Absolutely. Bottom of my heart. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching Odyssey House Journals. Bye.